Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is the podcast where my wife and I argue over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So <laughs> so maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So tonight we are continuing our snowbound terror theme with probably, the, in my opinion, the best snowbound terror yeah. horror film ever made. <laughs> Uh, which is The Thing from 1982, John Carpenter's The Thing. So we are going to spoil the crap out of this movie, but we have a brief bit of spoiler-free stuff before we get into it. So as usual, want to go over just a few releases coming out this week. For this week, there's really not a ton that I'm super excited about, <laughs> but one that I definitely think you should all check out if you get the chance is Arch Enemy. And, and all of these will be available by the time you're listening to this. Uh, but Arch Enemy will be on VOD. This is a film from director Adam Egypt Mortimer, which I just, I love Adam's name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty epic name. It's pretty epic. Uh, he's the guy who did Daniel Isn't Real, which was just a phenomenal horror film from last year. Really great psychological horror film that just becomes something completely different. There's a reason a lot of people <laughs> are asking the, uh, or, or, or saying that Adam should get to direct the Nightmare on Elm Street <gasps> reboot if we ever do that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> it would be fantastic. I mean, look, he absolutely killed it with Daniel Isn't Real. He killed it with Arch Enemy. And a lot of you are probably wondering what Arch Enemy is if you haven't heard of it. So this is not a horror film. It's basically a, I don't want to call it an anti-superhero film, but, you know, it's one of those kind of like tw darker twists on the superhero genre uh, about this guy who is telling people at a bar that he's from, like, another dimension, universe, whatever, where he was a big hero and everyone loved him and blah, blah, blah. And now he's here in our dimension and he doesn't really have his powers anymore and they don't quite work here. And this kid takes an interest in him and begins, like, posting his stories online, which become really popular. And long story short, let's just say that the kid, his sister, and this guy all get into a shit ton of trouble. And, <laughs> and it does become a, a sort of a really interesting film kind of exploring, like, mental trauma and finding out where you fit and who you are. And But it's, it's bloody. It's got some great action in it. Really visually interesting film. Uh, so highly, highly, highly recommend Arch Enemy. That it's, sounds it's amazing. Really great movie. Um... But that's the best thing you can probably check out that's new this <laughs> week, uh, because the rest are fine, but not, like, amazing. So, and by the way, Arch Enemy was reviewed by uh, our writer at KillerHorrorCritic.com, Justin Dravik, and you can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin underscore Dravik, and Dravik is D-R-A-B-E-K. So another film to check out this week is Girl With No Mouth, and this is an interesting one because this is from uh, the director behind Baskin, which, if you've seen Baskin, uh, you know that... It's a pretty fucked up movie, <laughs> and, and Girl with No Mouth is not is not that like this is not a horror film. This is kind of like a oddball fantasy adventure sort of Goonies meets hard R violence, where <laughs> <laughs> where it's about uh, this post apocalyptic world where toxic waste has deformed a bunch of the children, and so this main girl, you know, her her mouth has been sealed over by her own skin, and she ends up being on the run from this guy who's trying to get her and kill her, and uh, she comes across another, a, a band of children who all have their own deformities, like not having eyes or ears or, you know, stuff like that. And they band together and eventually, you know, take this villain on and whatnot and have their own little adventure through this <laughs> post-apocalyptic world. And I, this one was reviewed by our writer Jeffrey W. Hollinsworth, who you can follow at Umbrella underscore Ops on Twitter. Uh, and Jeffrey wasn't a huge fan, kind of gave it a, a an average sort of review, but called it visually interesting. 
Um, I would say I liked it. I, I don't know that it blew me away, but there there are things that I really enjoyed about it. I, it, I don't know how you felt. I, I thought it was interesting. I feel like it's a little Guillermo del Toro-esque. Um, yeah, it's got a little bit of Pan's Labyrinth to it. Um, you yeah. know, what, what, one complaint that Jeffrey had was that he wasn't quite sure who the audience was for this, and I, I can definitely see that, but I would also say that, you know, I think it's geared towards the Pan's Labyrinth-type audience, where yeah. it is... It is a story centered around children with 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 kind of like a childlike innocence but then the film kind of transcends into this like violence sort of fantasy so it's not for kids no no <laughs> but um, it does almost have a fairy tale like quality to it yeah exactly so anyway that's another one you can check out this week and lastly there's a film called Smiley Face Killers which features Crispin Glover and it, this was reviewed by our writer Craig Ranallo at killerhardcritic.com. You can follow Craig on Twitter at Craigers, so that's C-R-A-I-G-G-O-R-S. And this is basically a film about, uh, kind of based on this sort of urban legend about these, this group of killers. And I, I, I haven't seen this one myself, so I can't get too much into it, but I just wanted to get another release out <laughs> for y'all. Um, but, but Craig seemed to overall like it. it. It's a film that I haven't seen with too many positive reviews, uh, but Craig liked it for what it was. You know, there are some interesting things that go on with it, like this whole discussion kind of of how our society doesn't really believe men when they're trying to claim to be the victims, you know? Yeah. So so this this film follows a, a male character, and he's trying to convince others that, you know, th- he's being stalked or whatever, and no one believes him. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, Craig Craig seemed to suggest that the film doesn't lean into that theme as heavily as it could, but uh-huh. it is there, uh, which I thought was interesting. So, you know, if that's yeah. something that makes you curious, it might be a film worth checking out. Um, uh, so anyway, so those are your releases for the week. Uh, so we also like to do a kind of audience reaction to the film before we discuss it. So uh, every week on Twitter, at Killer From Space, I'll put up a poll, kind of getting your reactions to the film and what you thought. So... Between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think our poll falls for the thing? I, I feel it's going to be love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it, can't, it can't be anything other than that. Yeah. No, this this one is probably the biggest separation I've seen in any of the polls, where 88% of the audience loves it. Yeah. Uh, 6% say it's fine, 3% don't like it, and 3% have never seen it. That's really exactly where I thought this would fall, you know, yeah. just, <laughs> I mean, this is just such a beloved film, like, it, and you know, it, it's not for everybody, but for most, this is considered the greatest sci-fi creature feature of all times. <laughs> Over Alien? Uh, <laughs> now I'm putting you in a tough spot. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, I mean, it, for me, no. I like <laughs> Alien better, but there are many who I think would say that they prefer the thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but if if anything, the two are neck and neck. Yeah. Uh, I do think Alien personally is a better film, though. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I love the thing. I mean, they're right there for me in like mm-hmm. my top five, right? So, but anyway, uh, before we get into the questions, I haven't even mentioned what the thing's about. So the thing is basically. Uh, it's a film directed by John Carpenter, who you're all familiar with, you know, yeah. directed Halloween and many, many other greats, <laughs> uh, The Fog, whatever. Uh, it was written by Bill Lancaster, who the only other credit that, you know, he's really known for is Bad News Bears, which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, and it's based on a story called Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr., uh, who, you know, not to bum everybody out, but I think it's really sad that... That uh, that John passed away in the '70s before this film was made, so Aww. he never he never got to see who goes there made into the masterpiece that is the thing. Uh, but he did at least get to see you know the thing from another world, which was also based on his story, and which mm. this is a loose remake of, which came out in the '50s, and is basically about you know a group of men isolated in the Arctic who encounter an alien that takes them over and replicates them perfectly, and then it's kind of a mystery of, like, who's the thing, who's not, you know, that kind of thing. But, yeah, no, it was a total, like, 2020 moment for me when I when I reminded myself that Campbell had passed away before this, <laughs> and I, like, teared up, like, oh, my God, that's so sad. <laughs> you just made yourself sad. <laughs> Goddamn fucking 2020. <laughs> we have a few comments about the film from our audience uh, on the thing. So, again, these are all from Twitter. 
at Jacob Dandrich 2, and Dandrich is D-A-N-D-R-I-D-G-E, uh, says, the practical effects still get under my skin. This movie is amazing. Hail to the maestro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these practical effects are fucking phenomenal. Like, no. this is what makes this film is how good these effects are. Um, and the fact that it can still get under our skin so many years later is a testament to how good this film is. No, for sure. It, it's funny because, so, the effects were dubbed by, the effects were done by Rob Botin, who... Uh, had done the howling right before this, and I—I I could be wrong, but I think I think that's what helped him get the job. You know, that the howling was kind of one of his earlier like breakouts. You know, and, and the thing was the one that really solidified him as like a oh, yeah. FX master. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because you know Rob Bottin did the effects, and if you listen to the commentary with John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, and it gets to the first scene where you see a body, which is, and this isn't a spoiler, where you see this frozen body with, like, its wrist slit, and there's, like, blood icicles and stuff hanging yeah. off of it. It looks great on film, but Carpenter and Russell both comment uh, during the commentary that when they saw that on set, everyone was like, oh, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> like, like, no one thought it was going to work, you know, and they and they didn't really like it, and so they thought they were in trouble, uh, and, you know, oh. we we know how the story goes, though. Rob yeah. Bottin ended up knocking it out of the park, and, and yeah. the effects were incredible. But I think it's funny that they had that moment of, like, oh, jeez, I don't know about <laughs> this. <laughs> uh, but, no, Jacob's absolutely right, and thank you, Jacob, for your comment. You know, Jacob's a big supporter of ours. Really appreciate it. But absolutely right. The practical effects in the thing are phenomenal. They're some of the best ever, <laughs> Yes, in my opinion. Um all right, so thank you, Jacob, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, so next up is at Carolyn J-O-T-O, and they say, Love it, genre, splicing, mystery, and horror. The thing builds tension in a way that makes every scene gripping, Hitchcockian style. The practical effects are unmatched and eternally scary. The plot leaves readers guessing long after the movie ends. It's the goat. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have much more to add. Absolutely correct on all of that. Yeah. Uh, well, so absolutely correct on all that, and I, I like to mention the Hitchcockian style because it is something that's interesting about the thing is, like, when you look at this movie, you know, on the surface you might think, like, oh, your typical creature feature, you know, big special effects, extravaganza, whatever, and the thing is that in a lot of ways, but the thing about Carpenter is, you know, he's not the kind of director where that's his go-to, you know? Like, some directors, they're all about just having these big bloody effects and all yeah. about the gore and everything. That's not really Carpenter. Carpenter's actually not a gore guy. If you watch a lot of his movies, <laughs> no. they don't really strive to be gory. It's just whether it fits the premise or not, which with the thing, you know, the gore definitely makes sense. <laughs> but he is first and foremost all about building the tension and suspense, which is, you know, related to Hitchcock. And, and in this film, you know, there, there's just so much tension and build up and hinting towards problems that are coming these characters way you know that it is a little bit hitchcocking in that sense yeah. you know where where the audience kind of knows <laughs> that there's a problem but the characters don't and so it just puts us on edge because we're just like motherfuckers you don't even know how much shit you're in right now <laughs> <laughs> figure it out guys come on right exactly so uh, anyway thank you carolyn for the comment really appreciate it uh next up is at evangeline underscore the and they say, I loved it. I always hear people say it was about immigration, but I felt more Cold War vibes from it, though that's likely because I personally wasn't an immigrant. I think it's a credit to Carpenter that both things work in both the time capsule and timeless sense. I think that's the brilliance about the thing. The thing, the premise of it is, by all accounts, fairly simple. There's an alien, and we don't know who is who. And the fact that it can be applicable to so many different things is what makes this, like, a timeless classic. It's always going to be relevant as long as humans are shitty. Right. Like, <laughs> as long as humans are shitty, this is going to be a relevant film. If we ever get to a utopia society, people are going to look back and be like, oh, that's never going to happen. Human beings in a utopia? No, that's not going to happen. What a joke. <laughs> but, like, if we ever got to that point, they'd watch the thing and be like, is that what life was like? Right. It was horrible. No, yeah, it'd be this time capsule of like, Jesus, people were <laughs> assholes back then. Um, yeah. But no, it's absolutely correct, and I completely agree with Evangeline. It is the it is the great thing about the thing 
is that, you know, the movie on the surface is such a simple premise that it allows for us to really read into a lot of things, you know? Yeah. Because um, it's not it's not coming out too directly and saying, this is what it's about, this is what it's about. You know, it, it's very much just kind of left up to your own interpretation for a lot of this. And, you know, we're going to get more into the themes of this later, but something that's always related to the thing is this came out right around the time that, you know, the AIDS crisis was becoming a thing. And that's another thing that Carpenter and Russell talk about in the commentary is kind of how spooky it was with how, you know, closely related this movie kind of was to that epidemic. And But there are so many other things that work into this, you know, fascism, um, mm-hmm. immigration, the the Cold War, you know, of just the, the lack of trust between everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so all of that is there. and And it is so timeless because unfortunately mistrust <laughs> we're and, still and living that hellscape <laughs> mistrust and disease and all that stuff are timeless humans oh. will never not trust each other so. <laughs> so you know unfortunately it is very timeless in that sense and always relevant um and it's been especially relevant in 2020 which we'll get into in a bit uh but anyway thank you evangeline for the comment really appreciate it um Next up is at Gozer underscore Keymaster, and Gozer, in case you forgot, is G-O-Z-E-R. And they say, the suspense and paranoia are top-notch, one of the best jump scares on film, A+. Yeah, no, this this film does a really good job of building up the, the suspense and really the terror of not really knowing who to trust in the film. And they do such a fantastic job, and yeah, this film does jump scares right like mm. they're not cheap and that's the whole thing. Jump scares are great when they're not just cheap little like, "Boo, there's a face now." Right. <laughs> <laughs> I close the wind I close the mirror, there's nothing there. I open the mirror, there's nothing there. I close the mirror again. Oh my god, there's a face. Oh no. <laughs> the most predictable fucking scare ever in horror. Um I will have to say that that scare always gets me though. And that's why they do it. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but no, so absolutely agree with Gozer as well here. You know, the uh, and I just want to mention, you know, the the jump scare that they're particularly referring to is the one during the blood test scene, which I think gets everybody the first time. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I have nothing to add to that. It's an A-plus film. I think the suspense and paranoia are top-notch, and that's why we remember it as we do. Uh, so thank you, Gozer, for the comment. Really appreciate it. And lastly, uh, our friends over at, at Monsters and Drinks, so Monsters and Drinks, which is another podcast you should totally listen to. That group is a lot of fun. Uh, they say one of our absolute favorites, dare we say perfection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, look, I I will fully admit that there are some bits that I'm going to make fun of with this movie. Matt likes to call me a wet blanket when we watch these films sometimes. Because you are. Because <laughs> I am. Uh, but yeah, this movie is so fantastically done. Like, yeah. there's a reason why so many people love it. So, I mostly agree, but the perf- it's not a film I would actually call perfect. <laughs> there, yeah, I I have issues with this, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it once we talk about the ending because that's where I have a few complaints, you know. <laughs> <laughs> with and, and yeah, we'll get into that in a bit, but you know, it just basically comes down to there were things in the script that they wanted to do too expensive, they couldn't do it, and so the ending to me feels a little bit. Not quite satisfying. That's fair. <laughs> but we'll get into that. So anyway, thank you, Monsters and Drinks, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, so another thing we like to do before we get into spoilers here is just kind of talk about the tagline of the movie and what we think of it overall. So the tag, the, the tagline used for the thing on every poster you see is the ultimate in alien terror. But there's one that I wanted to bring up just because I think it's fun to talk about is uh, the one that says, man is the warmest place to hide. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> So, what do you think of the tagline, and what do you think of the thing overall? Ew! That's such a fucking weird tagline. I guess. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It, you know, they're referring they're referring to the whole like uh, you know the the star like the Star Wars concept, right? Where where Luke cuts open the whatever it's called and and sleeps the tauntaun ins- the tauntaun and he sleeps inside of it because. Cause it's warm, you know. You're in yeah. there with all the guts and blood and everything. And <laughs> I mean, it's not wrong. It's just such so, a like squishy tagline. That's a squishy movie. That's <laughs> fair. It, it makes sense. I I like it because of it, course it, you do. Because <laughs> it because it does make sense, you know. I, I mean, are we the warmest place? No, but you know it. <laughs> We're I, the warmest place in the Arctic. Well, unless you're in a dog. <laughs> True. But no, it's I just like it because it it. 
it gives off that kind of like Chris says, sort of squishy ew feeling, right? Like yeah. you know, something hiding inside of you. And you know, to me, when it says man is the warmest place to hide, I having watched the movie, I end up interpreting warmest as like the best because man is really in this thing's eye the ultimate predator on on Earth, right? Yeah. Um. So that's why I think we're its favorite, because <laughs> uh, we are basically the ultimate killers on earth yes (laughs) but anyway so as far as the thing goes you know just a brief little history on this i just want to mention how unfortunate it is that this was such a box office bomb because you know we we both already made it pretty clear i think that we really enjoy this movie um and yet when it came out the thing was extremely underappreciated you know it, it bombed at the box office and some people think that that has something to do with, you know, it came out, I think, a couple weeks after E.T. released. And, <laughs> and E.T. was like this great family film, you know, about aliens. And as, pe- and as Carpenter, I think, refers to it, you know, like, E.T. was like the nice alien film. And then they came out with this monstrosity, right? <laughs> so, um, so, so it's, you know, people probably weren't quite ready for it. And then on top of that... The thing's a very bleak and bloody film. You know, yeah. it's it's by far, I think, the goriest John Carpenter movie. And it just didn't really sit well with people, you know? Like, I get people weren't ready <laughs> to be so depressed. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of a depressing uh, one. Very much so. You know, it's part of John Carpenter's, uh, what he calls his Apocalypse Trilogy with Prince of Darkness and the Mouth of Madness. And... And all three of them are extremely depressing. You know, yep. they're not they're not movies where you walk away like, man, that was that was a fun time. You know, it's <laughs> I feel good about life now. Right, exactly. They they all end with very just dark endings, and you know, and it's just unfortunate because this was this was Carpenter's like not his big break. I mean, that was obviously Halloween that you know propelled him to being popular, but. But this was supposed to be, like, his big break in terms of studio films because, you know, what he had done before that, Halloween and The Fog and whatever, uh, those were all technically independent features. You know, if they were released today, they wouldn't be in theaters, probably. They would have yeah. been direct-to-VOD, you know? So so this the thing being done by Universal, this was going to be, like, Carpenter's big break with big studios, you know, and... And he was signed to, like, a three-picture deal or something like that. And, you know, they were going <laughs> to... And, and, you know, it was going to be making these big-budget movies. And then the thing bombed. And that deal ended up being broken up. And then, and then you know, Carpenter went back to kind of making the sort of weird indie fun stuff like, you know, Escape from New York and, yeah. <laughs> and They Live and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Which I'm glad he did. All those yeah, movies are fantastic. Yeah, great. But... But I, I know that to this day, Carpenter still, you know, regrets that that happened and is, and is upset by that. And, and yeah. I don't blame him. You know, that, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I'd be fucking salty about it. Um, but, Ex- especially considering how popular the movie is now. Like, right. can you imagine being like, where the fuck were you guys when my movie came out? Well, I think it's weird for a lot of people involved with, with movies like this where, you know, you... You come out with it, and you're really proud of it, and you you're hoping for some kind of positive reaction, and then nothing comes of it, and then it's not until ten years later you got people walking up to you and being like, "That was such a great film," and you know it's ten years later you're like, <laughs> "I that would have been nice ten years ago," you know. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so I gotta imagine it's kind of a weird feeling, but uh, anyway, so we're gonna get into the spoiler territory now with the thing after we take a quick break. So if you haven't seen it, we do recommend checking it out. Unfortunately, it's not streaming that I know of, uh, but, I mean, come on. The, if you haven't seen the thing, this film is absolutely worth renting. Yes. <laughs> um, but all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back in a moment. If you've been enjoying Killer Horror Critic, please make sure to head to iTunes and leave a review and rating, as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me. Also, make sure to check out my Patreon, where you can receive access to exclusive content such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. All right, and we're back here talking about the 1982 John Carpenter's The Thing. 
Uh, so we are about to spoil the crap out of this movie. So again, if you haven't seen it, please go watch it first, unless you just don't care about spoilers. <laughs> but as we always like to do, you know, to start off with, who do you want to talk about in this movie? There is a pretty fantastic cast, to be honest. I mean, you got Kurt Russell playing McCready. Uh, Wilford Brimley plays Dr. Blair. Uh, Keith David plays Childs. You know, who who of this cast do you want to talk about? All those dudes are great. But I want to talk about Clark, who is played by uh, Richard Masur, mm-hmm. because it's his fucking fault that all this shit happens. Completely disagree, but please explain fucking why. Fucking <laughs> dumbass. So we know that the thing is entering into like our group because of that dog. Mm-hmm. And Clark is in charge of the dogs. Like that seems, I don't know what the fuck this group of dudes is doing here. We never find out. It's if- a research facility. <laughs> Then they are a dumb fucking group of boys. Okay. I <laughs> am, um, but like, okay, so this dog that this outside research group thought was so dangerous that they had to like hunt with their helicopter and try to blow people up with, like, enters into your area, and Clark just doesn't have a thought about like, maybe I should sequester this dog to be safe. Like, just to keep everybody else safe. And maybe, like, you don't just take a strange dog and put it in with your beloved dogs. You don't know what its <laughs> temperament's like. You don't know if it has rabies. Like, you fucked your dogs, Clark. Okay, so first of all... First <laughs> I'm of very all, mad at Clark. First of all, Clark is not a scientist. <laughs> all right? Clark Clark is the dog watcher, so... I know, so but you, you should know these things. No, 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 no. So you, you being upset at Clark for not being, like, some brilliant mastermind... <laughs> Is a little bit of a stretch. Hold on. But but on top of that, it's a fucking dog. Alright? Like, so you're you're saying that they should know something's wrong because the Swedes are chasing Norwegians. this dog. Norwegians! Are you McCready? I keep getting it wrong. Norwegians. <laughs> because because the Norwegians are chasing it and trying to shoot it. But it's a fucking dog. Like, how is Clark supposed to know that anything is sinister about this dog? Like, as far as they're concerned, the Swedish people just went. Norwegians just went crazy and and are killing all their dogs, right? Like they there is no reason to suspect that this dog is a freaking alien monster that's going to destroy them all. So so to say that like how dare Clark not sequester this dog by itself is just like I don't blame the guy loves dogs. He does. He loves dogs. He, he does. doesn't he doesn't think to He does love dogs. Here's here's my only thing is like so we we have our pupper storm. And I eventually want to get uh, a sibling for Storm because I think he needs company. Like, I'm not just going to bring any old random dog home because that dog might bully our sweet, stupid pup. Like, there, you need to, like, slowly introduce animals together. Otherwise, you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe, he just, he just maybe tosses Clark the knows, dogs in. Maybe Clark knows something about Huskies that you don't. <laughs> maybe Clark's a dumbass. Maybe he is. <laughs> I don't know. I Clark got his dogs killed, and it bums me out. <laughs> well, you know what? They were all going to die anyways. <laughs> I know. This is a horror film. No one is allowed to be smart in a horror film. I, look, I mean, the thing, the thing with the thing is it honestly doesn't matter how smart they would have been. They're all fucked. Like, I mean, the, that's true. The, you know, it, it's one of those things of like, like, look at what we're currently going through with COVID, right? Yep. It doesn't matter if people were smart about it. We're still fucked. Like, yeah. you're still, you know, you still... Well, okay, it does matter if people are smart about it, but but you're still screwed either way. It's not it's not like being smarter about it prevents death, right? Like no. it people are still going to die. Less people will die if you're smart about it. His but, dogs could have been saved. All the humans would have been fucked, but his dogs might have survived if he hadn't put a rando dog that he knows nothing about. Well, not really knowing what Dr. Blair does later, so <laughs> <laughs> So really, Doctor Blair only does that because the dogs are infected because they were exposed. No, Doctor Blair does that because he can easily kill the animals, and he'd probably do the same to all the people if he could. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, all right, I could go on all day about yep. this. So, who I want to talk about is really just Kurt Russell's McCready, and the reason is this: is that when you think Kurt Russell, especially when you think Kurt Russell in a John Carpenter movie. You know, you think of him from Escape from New York or Big Trouble in Little China. Kurt Russell always plays these really big personalities. Yeah. You know, Tarantino's Death Proof, he's 
stuntman, Mike, or whatever, you know, big personality. And in The Thing, it, it's one of the, like, rare Kurt Russell ro- roles where he just, it, it's a very uh, understated performance, you know? Like, he's not he's not some over-the-top, uh, he's not some over-the-top, as he likes to say, uh, Mr. Personality or Mr. Fabulous, right? Like, he's not he's not that character. He's he's more a little bit more restrained in in that sense and he's not you know he's not like uh the i'm i'm the shit all the time kind of character <laughs> in the thing um you know he's more of a conservative kind of take charge when he needs to uh sort of guy but he's not you know he's not snake from escape no. <laughs> new york he's no. not he's not these characters and so you know, I, I just always found that really interesting, but I know you're laughing, so why don't you go ahead and get your comment out, because I got a rebuttal to what I know you're going to say. So. Fair enough. So I first have to start off with a comment that you're not going to have a rebuttal to. I do think, I do agree with you that this is a, a quieter performance from him, which allows us to have the weird opportunity to realize how fucking pretty Kurt Russell is. Like, not handsome. Like, most of his other roles, he's all, like, rugged. Mm. That man has the most beautiful blue eyes and the softest face I've ever seen. He is gorgeous. How are you noticing his, how are you noticing his soft face when he has a beard covering the whole thing in this movie? <laughs> because I pay attention. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I mean, how, how do you not notice his soft face in Big Trouble in Little China when he has no beard? Uh, I think because in Big Trouble, Little China, he's just a dick the entire time. So I'm like, I don't care what your face looks like. Just... All right. <laughs> I shouldn't say dick. He, to your point, he always has a lot of personality with his his things. Uh, but I'm more laughing at it because he's spending half the movie running around with dynamite. Just threatening to kill everybody. Well, he's spending the last 20. <laughs> yeah, because... <laughs> I mean, you can't. That's call, not quiet to me. You can't call that over the top, though, because the reason he's doing that is because they don't have any weapons there. He he's trying to defend himself because they've all turned on him and think that he's a thing. Yes. <laughs> so look, you know, I I know you laugh at this movie because because uh, it opens with like Kurt Russell, you know, pouring his drink into the computer and and calling the computer a cheating bitch or whatever. Yeah, and he, he ruins the computer for this winter. Well, but this is what I think is interesting is that, you know, according to Russell, like his, the backstory that he kind of developed for this character is that, uh, is that McCready is like a ex-Vietnam vet, you know, and he, uh, he's an alcoholic and he has a, you know, a drinking problem. And, and it, it's fascinating when you look at it because, you know, you look at this group of men and they all clearly are, are types that prefer some kind of isolation, right? To, to do this job, you have to be okay with some kind of isolation, <laughs> Uh, but Kurt's the only one in the film where he's like, okay, uh, we're isolated, but I need to be a little bit more isolated. <laughs> you know, he's the only one with his own shack, like, separate from the base where they're all sleeping at. And it's just kind of fascinating, like, when you think about that and how how just, like, anti-person <laughs> uh, McCready is. He wants nothing to do with people, Yeah, you know? which Which is interesting when you throw into this film this idea of not being able to trust anybody and McCready has to suddenly learn to trust people right uh or be killed by them so he's already prepared for the mistrust right okay so yeah McCready's isolating himself from everybody else I know how I feel about this aspect but I'm curious how do you feel about the fact that this is an all-male cast you know it's an interesting thing because the the thing got ripped for this at the time it was released uh, for having an all-male cast, and it, it most certainly would be ripped now uh, <laughs> to release that way. And the thing is, like, I, I get it. I, I, I do understand why it would be looked down upon for that, because, you know, especially these days. Like, 2020 is a, is a time period yeah. where if you look at a movie and there are 10 to 12 characters and none of them are played by anybody but you know, uh, but dudes, like, you might start to question, like, can we not have a woman in this? You know, like, that. I, I definitely understand that that viewpoint. And w- the way I, what I understand about their thinking back then when they did this, which is flawed thinking, but where I think they were coming from, is they they wanted these characters to to seem completely alone and frustrated and and not 
you know, like basically be bored. Yeah. And they had the what I would say is the wrong idea, but they had the idea, I think, that, well, if it's all men, then there's no distraction, right? There's no female distraction. Not taking into account just because all men doesn't mean none of them can be attracted to each other, you know, so. <laughs> I mean, that's a really valid point, but I'm, you know, I'm going to say something con- kind of controversial. I think it was smart for them to do an all-male cast for this. Mm. And my reasoning for that is, you know, it's 2020 and we still struggle having a mixed gender cast in a situation like this without having a romance, without mm. having love playing into anything like that. And I think the thing is really strong by not having any romantic ties. Oh, for sure. Because I think that that would have muddled the storyline and everything like that. And considering the fact that we still struggle with that in 2020, I think it was really fucking smart for the thing to just be like, look, we know that we're not going to be able to write a female character into this and not put a love thing in. We know what's going to happen if we do. Oh, right, because you know if it was, it's 1981, you got Kurt Russell, you know there's going to be some like, well, Kurt Russell must have to have some kind of romantic relationship with the female lead, right? (laughs) And during that time, like, it's a period where, like, you're not necessarily guaranteed to have a smart female lead. There's a good chance that, like, she's going to be more of a damsel in distress. She's going to be a hindrance through the movie. I hate saying that, Mm. but that's kind of what we were seeing in film around that time. And the fact that, like, it's 2020 and we would still struggle with some of that stuff. Like, like, I... I wish that we could, it could be different, but I think it was a smart choice and it made the film stronger to do that. It definitely makes the film stronger. I, I think, you know, looking back on it, it's, it works for the film. I, I just, I just think it's the wrong idea to think that just because it's a bunch of men, there's definitely no romantic oh, interest, yeah. you know? No, because that, that, that's the mindset it was. It's like, well, if it's a bunch of men, then there must not be any romanticism. Like, none of them could possibly be interested <laughs> in each other, you know? And we all know that that's a bunch of bullshit. Oh, that's definitely bullshit. But but the thing, but you're right. The thing that does work is that you know there is no romantic relationship, yep. and that and that does help strengthen the film because it's not because it because it doesn't become about that. It doesn't become about Kurt trying to save <laughs> this girl that he wants to fuck. Right. It's yep. <laughs> it, it becomes very more like a personal survival story. You know, like the, all these guys are trying to personally survive. They're not trying to save each other necessarily right yeah. and that and that's what works about it is no one trusts each other they all there there is no trying to say like well but my my romantic interest is fine you can trust them you know like there yeah. there is none of that there is no support for each other they're all kind of on their own yeah <laughs> uh which works really well and then it also works well too because if you do want to look at this as a commentary on aids you know at the time aids was seen as a disease passing from from passing through gay men right Mm -hmm. and you know so the thing kind of works in that way too which is accidental i don't think that that was intentional by them um but it works in that way too because you have all these all these men and this disease that's passing through the blood to them right so um all the men in the thing are fucking sure that's one (laughs) way to look at it (laughs) uh but i I do want to dig deeper in that but before we do that you know i do want to ask because cause this whole month we're talking about the snowbound terror stuff. And, it, you know, we talked about isolation last week with Frozen. And I'm just wondering, like, do you think the thing would work in any other isolated setting without Winter being a part of it? You know, like, does does Winter and all of that have such a drastic effect on the thing, do you think, that you couldn't do this somewhere else? Like, you couldn't do this at a remote <laughs> place in the wilderness, you know, or something like that. Like, it has to be this. It, I I don't think it would work anywhere else. I think it does have to be the Arctic. Um, and specifically the Arctic. Like, you can't just be, like, in the Canadian wilderness. Um, it has to be the Arctic because, like, yes, it's... For me, the environment is an extra character in this film. Or an extra deterrent, however you want to view it. Because... Look, they're isolated. They can't even get anybody to come and help them. If they were anywhere mm. else, they could be making calls out. They could be doing things. But the fact that, like, they're so isolated from everything and kind of in huh. this... Isolated. <laughs> 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 um, Bad joke. <laughs> but, like, 
the fact that they are so separate from everything and the fact that, you know, they kind of have to make this choice. Are, you know, are we going to get killed and taken over by the alien or are we going to get killed by the environment? Like, it's a rock and a hard place situation. Well, so that that is what makes it work really well. Because you're right, you know, it. if we were to set this in the wilderness, like, you know, obviously if these guys have to trek 200 miles to the nearest civilization through the you wilderness, it would still be a survival story facing the elements. But... But that's not what happens, you know, it all takes place in this one setting. So by having it in the winter where it could very easily become, I think they say at one point, like negative 100 degrees or something yeah. like that, uh, where it very could easily become that, it is a fight against the thing and a fight against nature. You know, they can't leave. They can't just they can't just begin that 200 mile trek because they're going to be trekking through the fucking Antarctic and yeah. you're just not going to survive out there. Uh, no matter how much heavy well, clothing or warm clothing you have, right? So and it's not like there are boats out there or anything that they can get to. Like the Arctic isn't a port. You can't right. just go to the nearest port city for help. Right. So, so I think the thing that really works about it is, you know, the thing is all about isolation and, and being in the Antarctic, you know, that the Antarctic is almost like its own separate world. Yes. You know, it really is like it, it's like its own planet. And so there, <laughs> I, I don't know that there's a more isolated place on Earth than the Arctic. <laughs> you know, other than like an island in the middle of nowhere, right? So, <laughs> I was going to go with the underwater sea stations, but... Well, we're not counting that. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's something else with this environment that I think was brilliantly handled that adds an extra ticking clock to why it has to be the Arctic. Is the thing can survive that. Mm. The humans can't. So like to ultimately win, they need to make sure that everything burns which pretty much i think that that's a fascinating ticking time clock to add not only can you be killed by the environment but your enemy survives that environment to fuck up the entire world so if you're gonna save everyone you have to weirdly fight the environment the, too yeah the thing that i like about it too with the winter setting is that you know it, it works well into the disease element of it because when <laughs> you know because, you know, it's not it's not like some random disease, like, survives for centuries in the wilderness and we don't really know about it. I mean, it could, but the, by, by taking place in the Arctic and having this thing just buried forever and then dug up, you know, it's almost like if you were to dig up, like, an ancient, you know, disease that killed the dinosaurs or something like that yeah. and just defrost it and now suddenly we have this thing running rampant through our complex, right? Like, that, that a, a lot of these movies... Th that's been done quite a few times after the thing, you know, where where people do dig up this thing and then it defrosts and then it just turns into this like mini pandemic in their place, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of love that about the thing because even though on the surface level they're digging up a creature, it's really like discovering a disease that's been around forever um, that we thought we were rid of and then we defrost it and then it just comes back full force, you know, like that. Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> that, that hits really home for, I feel like, the, the themes with all of this. And 2020 in general. Oh, how so? Well, just on... Well, yeah, what, what is it like watching the thing in 2020? You know, no, knowing that this film was made almost 40 years ago, <laughs> like, what is it like watching it now? So for me, watching watching the thing in 2020, like, I know a lot of the the theories that get tossed around is tying it to AIDS. For me, it's been, it ties really well into what we've seen the past, like, four years. Like, we don't know who we can trust. We don't know who's on our side. We don't know who's, you know, infected with these ideologies that we don't necessarily agree with. Mm. Um, Like, for me, it's a weird thing of, like, you know, not knowing, like, you expect someone to, like, be on your side, and then you find out that they're, trump supporter you're just like oh shit who else is infected fuck yeah i mean that's not a last four years problem though i no. would say like that no. so so i i see where you're coming from that's not that's not what i most take away from it though like because you're because what you're talking about is just a, a natural distrust between people mm -hmm. i mean if, it, if it's not trump it's something else you know like that's you're true. Like, you're, you're worried about, the, are, you know, like, Trump supporters are worried about, are you a communist? You know, like, so, <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know that that, it's relevant, you know, because that is part of the theme here is not trusting others. Um, but that's something that's been around 
before this movie came out, since this movie came out, you know, like it's we've always not trusted each other for one reason or another. <laughs> I mean, the Cold War, you know, we, yeah. we had we had um or or like the McCarthy hearings where they were dragging people fuck McCarthy. They're dragging people <laughs> through the court accusing them of being communists. Like that mm-hmm. that's always been a thing and, and the thing itself is very much representative of that flaw in human nature where we do just constantly, you know, not not trust each other and, and suspect each other of something else. But Salem Witch Trials. The Salem Witch Trials is another good example. But the the thing, what stands out to me watching The Thing in 2020 compared to, you know, when it came out, is when it came out, you did have the AIDS epidemic, but the AIDS epidemic was not quite the same as, as COVID. You know, the, the AIDS was, it's still terrible, you know, and a lot of people still died, but the AIDS epidemic wasn't treated as like this, um, this this Nash this worldwide thing that was affecting everybody, you know, it, it was it was it was put on one community, really. Yeah, you know, a community that everyone accepted could die because they didn't care about them. Yeah, no, it was awful, and it, you know, but 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 it wasn't treated as like this thing that everyone has to worry about, like right down to a five year old, right? You know, uh-huh. like that that wasn't how it was being viewed. Um, and now you know we see. We, we've lived through this pandemic yeah. and are still living through it. And what I think is interesting is just how, how much it shows like how easy it is for this stuff to kind of pass through people, but also just how, how poor our reactions to these things are. So, <laughs> so, you know, like when I, so what I mean is like, I look at the thing and you know, first of all, uh, something that's been going on this entire time with the pandemic is this whole thing of, like, uh, certain politicians treating it like it's political instead of just science, right? Fuck those guys. Uh, fuck them. And, you know, but the thing is, they they treat it like it's political, but as we've seen the thing, disease is not political. And in fact, you know, the thing isn't really taking over uh, the people more in power. It just kind of takes over whoever it can, right? It's yeah. not... It's not specifically seeking out anybody. Like it's not. It's not seeking power. It's not seeking anyone in particular. It just gets you when it can get you. Exactly. <laughs> just like disease, it just gets you when it gets you. Right. It's not. It doesn't care if you're, if you believe in it or not. You know. It just gets you when it does. Um, but but all these men, they they have trouble accepting it. You know, like they won't. They won't believe it until they see it with their own eyes. And even when they do, they still don't quite believe it, right? Yep. And, and that's another problem that we've had with the pandemic is that, you know, you have all these people who don't believe in it, uh, who pretend like it doesn't exist. And, you know, it's like, can you can you imagine if the thing was actually real <laughs> and and you put it into 2020 and you're trying to convince people of, like, there's this monster that's taking us over and replicating <laughs> us. I mean, can you imagine trying to convince people of that oh. these days with how much like misinformation there is and everything? Oh, we'd be doomed. Uh, oh, we'd be totally fucked. I, you know, I, I think it says 27,000 hours or something that it would take over the world and the thing. Oh, it, yeah, it, it would absolutely do that. <laughs> like, oh, it we, would beat that in half. Right. We, we'd be screwed. Um, But, but you know, I, I see this movie and there's just there's those lines like Kurt Russell saying, Nobody trusts anybody now. We're all very tired, you know. I think that's how we all feel by the end of 2020. We're just like, I don't fucking trust you. Yep. I'm exhausted. I just want to lay in bed all day and watch TV. <laughs> um, and and you know, so the the thing it just it it's so relevant to like how we're all feeling right now, right? Yeah. And that and I just there's so many examples of just how they don't properly handle this. You know, like one of my favorites being. Uh, the blood test scene mm-hmm. and and showing how people don't actually understand how disease works or contagion works because you know in in this blood test scene and it's something I doubt the filmmakers are even thinking about but mm-hmm. but in the blood test scene you have windows going around and cutting everybody's finger and putting it in the little caps or the little whatever petri, uh, petri dish for to test it and He's not only using the same knife, but he's not even cleaning it. <laughs> he's wiping it on you know? his pants. You know, like he does himself last, and we actually watch his process of he just like wipes it on his boot and then cuts his finger. And knowing how the thing works, it's like one cell from this thing can completely take you over. Yep. So you just have to imagine that literally everyone actually is probably infected yep. <laughs> by the end of that scene because these people just don't. 
comprehend how infection works. <laughs> this is not the smartest group of science researchers. No, it is not. But yeah, and the last thing I just want to say about it is, you know, it's... Be, being a person who does believe in, like, the pandemic and whatever, watching this movie... I hate that you, you can, have to say that sentence. It, it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> terrible sentence to have to say, right? Like, that there are people who don't believe in it. But but being a person who does believe in it, you know, I think we can all... Watching, watching this now, I think we can all totally relate to Dr. Blair. You know, like, I used to watch Dr. Blair and him going psychotic and smashing everything and be like... Man, you could have sat down and had like a conversation. You know, like you, you you like to think that there could have been a more reasonable reaction that wouldn't have led to him being locked up in a shack somewhere. <laughs> but now you watch this and you're like, man, I fucking get it, Blair. I get it, man, because people just don't listen. <laughs> like, you know, like can you, I mean, put yourself in Doctor Blair's shoes if you've ever looked at him. Like, what are you doing? And just ask yourself, how does Doctor Blair go up to the others and say? Yeah, so that thing that we found, uh, it's actually a monster that infects you cell by cell and completely takes you over and replicates you. Like, try to convince yeah, somebody of that, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. As a retail worker, I sometimes feel like McCready, where he, you know, he's just got his flamethrower the entire time. We have hand sanitizer at the front of the shop. kind of uh -huh. feel like McCready with that of like, fucking use the hand sanitizer or I will flamethrower you. Right. Do and, it. As you should. <laughs> But no, it's like I strong. He, Dr. Blair is like is like our modern Dr. Fauci, right? Like, he, <laughs> you know, just le just more crazy. Like, you know, Fauci's out there being it, the dude was out there in March. Yeah. Being like, here's what's going to happen if we don't do anything. And where are we now in December? Thousands of people die a day. I don't mean this to be depressing, but I'm just saying, like, yep. this movie relates so closely <laughs> to what we're going through. And Dr. Blair is Fauci in the sense of he's like. If we don't do anything, the entire world is screwed. So I got to destroy this shit. <laughs> I feel like the thing just brings out the depression and stuff. Well, it is. It's not a happy movie. No. You know, there's no happy ending to the thing. <laughs> Which, you know, speaking of the ending, like, do you think McCready or Childs is the thing in the end? I absolutely think McCready is. Yeah? Why? Yeah. So How? So this this is this is I'm the debate, this is debated quite a bit, and obviously there's no correct answer. You know, I, I think I think Carpenter's answer to it has always been, "What do you think?" You know, <laughs> so, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, "I don't fucking know." Um, but to me, to me, it's always been McCready, and this is and this is why I say this is that they they make it clear they make it clear through uh, through Norris that. The thing is not the thing can be something where you don't know that you're infected. Yeah. You know, uh where you're not thinking like the thing. So, you know, Norris uh played by Charles Hallahan, he we see him at a couple times where like his stomach hurts or there's the one moment where he's where he's asked to take charge and he turns it down. He says like I don't think I'm up to it, right? Yeah. And you could say that it's just because he doesn't want it, but I think reading into it, you know, it's because he knows that something's wrong with him, right? And uh -huh. he thinks he might be infected, but he's not, but it's not, it's not the thing saying that, you know, because he even has like the whole heart attack scare, right? But it yeah. turns out to be the thing. Um, so, so I'm saying that because these people can be infected and not realize it. Uh -huh. The thing doesn't work that way. It doesn't, it's not a mind control thing. It doesn't take you over and. And then you're just part of the thing and you think like the thing. It, it doesn't happen that way right away. Yeah, it's, so, it's cell by cell. Right. So it's very possible that you could be infected uh, on day one with a cell and then it's not until a week later that you're actually fully a thing, right? Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, so when you look at this, it's just, it's, just it's just little clues all throughout of like McCready is probably infected. So the one that stands out to me the most relates to his alcoholism and and drinking so you know our first our first scene with mccready is he's drinking from that damn bottle yep. <laughs> and you see it you see it a couple other times during the film yes and it always relates to the thing so uh the next time you see it is when he's looking over the clothes that have that are ripped up and have the name tag missing uh -huh. he's drinking during that and they're trying to figure out well whose clothes are these maybe they're his yeah <laughs> Uh, but then you go in further to it, 
when he sits down with Dr. Blair in the shack and they're locking him up for the first time. What does McCready do? Takes a drink from the glass, or takes a drink from the bottle, sits it down, leaves it for Blair. Guess who ends up being infected later? <laughs> Blair. <laughs> and then and then at the end of the film, when, when McCready and Childs are sitting there with everything burning around them and they're like, let's wait and see what happens. Guess what happens? <laughs> McCready drinks from the bottle, hands it to Childs, Childs drinks from the bottle, McCready starts laughing. You could say that McCready's laughing at the situation uh-huh. of just like, here they are stranded, a couple of dudes drinking and probably dying soon. Or you could look at it like McCready just handed him the fucking thing <laughs> <laughs> with cells in the bottle and now Child's going to become infected too, you know? Yeah. So it's just it's just things like that. And then you throw into, you throw in other clues of, you know, McCready is out at the shack all by himself. Uh-huh. McCready does have his, does have ripped up clothes found by Nalls, right? Like, yep. that does happen. Um, and you could say that someone's trying to frame him, but why would the thing try to frame him? Why would the thing even care about framing McCready? <laughs> it doesn't need to. <laughs> They're already all turned against each other. It doesn't need to frame him. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and like Child says, no human could make it back to the shack. <laughs> yeah. But McCready does. So, you know, it's all these things of, like, you can certainly debate whether or not McCready is a thing or not. But ultimately, I like I said, with the blood test thing and with how easily this thing spreads and watching all these scenes with McCready drinking from a bottle and handing it to somebody else, it's very easy to assume that McCready and, frankly, all of them really are infected. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at the end. <laughs> oh, my assumption is that both of them are infected. Otherwise, they would have walked into that fucking fire. Right. <laughs> Which would have been even more depressing. You, th- you think they would have? You think they would have set themselves on fire? <laughs> Here's the thing: they did everything that they did was to like protect humanity, and they know that. They know that the thing can survive; it can sleep in the snow, and the only way to really destroy it is with fire. So, if you really all want to protect humanity, you walk into that fucking fire because you don't know if you're infected or not, and you can't take that risk. Yeah, I'd like to see you walk into a fire and burn yourself alive <laughs> like a witch. <laughs> You know what? I probably would have gotten infected from doing something really stupid like playing with that dog in the beginning. So. Oh, yeah. No, you're already dead by this point. We know that. Oh, yeah. but <laughs> There are very few horror films I will survive. Uh, for sure. Um, But no, yeah, it, it's just that. And there's other one last little clue I want to mention because I think it's in, an interesting like filmmaking perspective is there's one shot towards the end of the film where Childs is sitting there by himself looking out a window and there's like a slow POV shot of something approaching him. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that it's McCready. The thing with that shot is, to me, that's another clue because, you know, there are all kinds of horror films where you put the POV onto uh, a, a good character where they're approaching somebody. And it's meant to trick you into thinking they're the villain. But then it's used as like a jump scare kind of where they suddenly approach the person and they get scared or whatever. Yeah. It works for that, but that's not what happens here. McCready doesn't scare Childs. No. You know, McCready just walks into the room. <laughs> and that POV is very sinister. It's it's slow moving. It makes you think that something like evil is approaching Childs. And to me, I think it's kind of a hint of like something's up with McCready at that yeah. point. Because it's not used for a scare. It's used to make you suspect McCready of something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's enough of my rant there. Um. So we do got to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of the thing? And I probably already know your answer. <laughs> you know, obviously, I already talked about Clark enough because he would be my killer idiot because he starts all this. But you know what? No. He doesn't start anything. <laughs> I'm going to go with, um, what is it? It's McCready and uh, Dr. Cooper and I want to say Gary. They find the spaceship and they don't go on the fucking spaceship. So they're stupid for not going into the alien spaceship. I mean, just just check it out, guys. Come on, you're gonna die anyways. Re- Look at the really? spaceship. Really, that's your that's why they're stupid because <laughs> they don't investigate the mysterious alien spaceship. <laughs> Look, they're all gonna die anyways. Why not just explore the spaceship? Yeah, no, guys, come on, just get in the ship and they've and already let, made terrible decisions that are gonna just, get them killed just get in the ship and let let the alien that probably resides in there murder you <laughs> they already are bringing back the dead body that kills them anyways might as well go for broke go for broke go for broke yeah um <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go with an actual idiot and say <laughs> clark's an idiot and, and no i'm gonna say <laughs> the norwegian who who goes after the bomb 
that's that <laughs> gets tossed in the beginning. You know, there's the two Norwegian guys, and one of them yep. like goes to throw a bomb, and it flies out of his hands backwards. And he goes like digging through the snow after it, like motherfucker. The snow is like at least a foot deep. You ain't finding it. Yeah. <laughs> You're not gonna find it on time, and so. You know, he deserves to blow up at that point. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'll agree with you there. Like, you, you should have just let it go, man. You're you're very obviously screwed at that point. So, <laughs> that is my idiot. Um, What about your killer death of the thing? I, I have to go with, with Dr. Cooper, who is played by um Richard Dysart, who gets his hands eaten by the chest mouth. Yeah, so this is mine as well. I, I think that it's the most impressive uh, human kill of the film. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and it's the interesting thing about the thing, again, going back to this idea that Carpenter's not really a gore guy, is that you honestly don't see a lot of the death happen in the yeah. thing. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's a lot of it's off screen, and it's to help kind of build that mystery and that tension of who is a thing. Because um, in order for us to know we have to see them die, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you actually don't see a lot of that on screen. Um, so, so yeah, to me, that that's probably the best death as well because it's just, it's unexpected. It shocked the hell out of me the first time I saw it because you're not expecting that chest to open up like a goddamn <laughs> mouth. <laughs> and uh, and I, the whole scene all together with just, you know, his hands getting bitten off and then, and then Norris, like, his weird spider head thing yeah. pop out like like it's just an insane moment for the film uh where these characters really start to get a good idea of how fucked they are <laughs> can i just do a runner up to windows getting his head chomped by palmer i mean that's easily the second best one if not the best <laughs> just shaking around like a rag doll it's so great yeah that one makes me laugh a little bit too much for it to be my number one but yeah. it's it's definitely great um so lastly, what about your killer MVP for the thing? I feel like there's only one. That's that's the special effects by Robert Botin. Uh, Botin. So Botin, yeah, Ro- thank you. So yeah, no, I I also have Rob Botin. Uh, just because yeah, it, you talk to anybody about the about the thing, probably the first thing they're gonna mention is the effects. Yeah, you know, because that you know, especially now when a lot of us just really miss movies <laughs> like the thing. <laughs> You know, I know I do. Yep. I mi- I miss these I miss these horror films that were just like a giant display of of, of incredible practical creature effects. Yeah. And unfortunately, you just don't see a lot of that now cuz it's mostly digital. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um which will never be as impressive to me as something like this. But nope. but no, so it is it is Botine, I think for that reason. Although I will also add just because I, I, he he deserves to get a mention for this, is Neil Morricone, who did the soundtrack for the thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely deserves some credit for it as well, because they're, you know, Morricone was a brilliant composer who did some of the best scores ever, I think, in film. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly will always be one of my favorites. Um, but but he deserves a lot of credit for the thing and, and its effectiveness, because that score really gets under your skin, and it creates this sort of tension and divide where you can't you know there, there's just something about it that puts you on edge uh-huh. you know like the dun 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 <laughs> like there's just it, it's just really eerie and creepy and it makes you feel like nothing's right with the area yeah. you know um but anyway yeah no so the, those two i would definitely give it to um all right well so that's gonna do it for us on the thing uh so we're going to move into our Patreon content now where we're going to talk about uh, how Chris and I would potentially know if each other is a thing or not. <laughs> and uh, and we'll also discuss what, what big horror film we would have liked to have seen Carpenter direct had his career gone the way it was projected to with the thing and he kept doing these big studio films instead of, you know, smaller stuff. Um, so we'll be talking about that. So if you'd like to listen to that, just go to patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic for just a dollar a month to get access to all of our additional bonus content. Uh, we also have things like bonus episodes, uh, voting on what we talk about each month, uh, lists of horror recommendations for each week. So definitely check that out and support us there if you can. Uh, otherwise, we just appreciate you listening and hope you had a good time. Uh, shout out to our killer members on Patreon, uh, Ben Scouten, which hopefully I got that right this time. Caitlin told me that's how I should pronounce it, so if I'm wrong, <laughs> it's Caitlin's fault, Ben. <laughs> you can't blame it on uh, Caitlin. I'm blaming it on Caitlin. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> uh, but shout out to Ben Scouten, uh, Michael Campbell, Martin Enchetta, Seth Vermont, and Kelsey Lynn. Just thank you so much for all of your support. 
we really cannot do this without you. You know, this helps us pay our writers. It helps us pay our fees for hosting the podcast and all that stuff. So just thank you so much for uh, keeping us going with that. And to all of our other supporters and patrons. Um, next week, we'll be talking about the fantastic horror comedy Dead Snow. Yes! <laughs> which is one of the few horror films I think that Chris actually introduced I, me to. <laughs> I fucking love this film so much. I'm so excited for this. It's a great movie. Can't wait to talk about it. Um, so, so we'll be doing that next week. But other than that, just hope you all enjoyed. Hope everyone's doing well and getting through this year. Just a couple more weeks left of fucking 2020. <laughs> and hopefully 2021 will be a bit brighter. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, we still got a couple weeks left for aliens potentially to make their mark on, on the year. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, maybe there'll be a thing. They already <laughs> have. Have you not read the news? Ah, uh, we'll get into that, but... <laughs> Uh, but anyway, just thank you so much, everyone, for listening. That's going to do it for us on The Thing. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.